Want access to richer content and exclusive analysis on the business of sport? Sports Pro Plus is used by experts across the industry to make informed decisions, with two membership tiers offering access to original content, exclusive reports, and a suite of business intelligence tools. Become a member today at sportspromedia.com forward slash subscribe and use the code FCPOD10. That's FCPOD10 at checkout for a 10% discount. The Football Co. Business Podcast. The most creative minds and innovative thinkers in football. Hello and welcome to the Football Co. Business Podcast. I'm your host, Alex Manby, and on today's show, I'm talking to Kenny Annan-Jonathan, founder of the Mailroom Creative Agency and, as of last year, creative director at Crystal Palace. That was an appointment which made Palace the first Premier League club to hire a creative lead to oversee apparel collections and fashion partnerships. I'm going to ask Kenny about his background in fashion, marketing and football, his current role at Crystal Palace, how he sees the relationship between football and fashion evolving, and whether one day Palace clothing could rival that coming from the likes of PSG and Venezia. Kenny, welcome to the show. Ah, thank you for having me, Alex. Really appreciate that and that that great intro. <laughs> well, to kick things off, tell us your story. How did you get into football and fashion? Oh gosh, so I have a design background. Um, started many, many years ago as a graphics designer. Um, I ran my own streetwear brand within London. Started off selling in Selfridges, Harvey Nichols, and really just kind of built my brand through like local community um, events, um, pop-up stores, and just designing and consulting for a lot of individuals and brands in and around London. One actually, which kind of where the direction went was um, a customer of mine at the time was Wilfred Zaha uh, from Crystal Palace. He was at the time at Manchester United and was at the point of him coming back to Crystal Palace. So I didn't know him personally. We had a few mutual friends, but, um, you know, he was just a customer. So I didn't really think nothing too much of it. Um, we built a really, really good relationship over time, just through understanding him coming to purchase clothes. And I got to understand who he was as a person, especially at that time where you know, there was um, a lot of crazy media going on around him not being a success at uh, Manchester United. So we formed a, a really good relationship. As time developed, um, Wilfred wanted to design his own fashion brand. Um, and I guess naturally because of the relationship we had, he called on me. Um, and I was just telling him, man, this thing is not easy. It costs a lot of money. And I know you might not be, you know, that might not be an issue for you, but the fashion game is is very expensive if you want to do it properly and the t amount of time that needs to be put into it is also a huge factor that you have to consider. So I guess after a few months of conversations, you know, he had asked me to come on um, board with him as 50-50 business partners. And we kind of really started to build out the brand, which was called Long Live. Um, and we just kind of really drove it. So um, I guess from there, what happened was uh, we had done like um, an exclusive collaboration with Crystal Palace actually at the time. Um, I had an idea just to kind of amplify what we was doing and finding new um, channels to kind of express what we was doing and connect with the audiences that Wolf um, had a hold of. Um, and I guess Crystal Palace and the club store seemed like a natural fit. So um, after selling there, we done extremely well. Uh, we sold out the product. Um, and I guess also the guys at Crystal Palace were extremely um, happy with it. Like, and I, I'm talking from the perspective of design value. It's nothing that they, like they had designed before. Also the price points, because, you know, with any good brand, there's a story behind it, there's marketing behind it. There's a reason why 
you know, people buy into something and I believe that's community. So, you know, we was doing extremely well there. We was building out. And then what I would do naturally is because of the brand, I would go with Wilfred to all of his commercial meetings for his partnerships to leverage the relationship that we had with our brand to see if there's anything that we could do. And um, I guess what, what I noticed that everywhere we would go, there wasn't a lot of, there was no one really around him that was with him in some of these big meetings. And it always kind of confused me. I thought, this doesn't make sense. Like you've got this big Premier League player, he, you know, outside of his, you know, his, his, his contracts, why is no one helping him to navigate? But I've come from the world of business anyway. So I would go with him and we'd have conversations like over and over again about how can we implement the brand into the conversations. And then one day he went for a meeting with um, quite a big brand, which I won't name. And, um, you know, they had an offering for him and they wanted to make him this 360 global talent. And I was kind of like, okay, this sounds great. Um, you know, you know, club, country, athlete versus this, this and this. And then when we started to break down the numbers, I said, hold on, this doesn't really make much sense. Um, even though it's, it's, it's a great opportunity, it, it's, it's just not making sense. And I guess I'm probably stepping a bit out of term here because it wasn't my position. But I pulled him to the side and I said, look, I don't think this is a great idea for you when you're looking at the trajectory of where you can be, um, your personal brand. And I guess at the time, for British players on a whole, there wasn't a lot of personal branding being done, but coming from a specific world in marketing, I was like, you have all the strengths and qualities to really build and capitalize on who you are. Anyway, long story short, Wolf didn't end up going with that brand. And we just spoke. And I think he understood and appreciated the way that I fought as a friend and someone who understood business. And um, he asked me to come on board as uh, a commercial manager. So you know, it was kind of unofficial for a while. And then what I I would do is help him to navigate and really amplify who he was as an individual, um, as a rogue individual, actually. Because, you know, most of the time these athletes take big sponsorship deals, whether it's Nike, Puma, Adidas, whoever it may be. And we had like huge success within that first year of um, me kind of helping him to navigate through telling his story authentically through different platforms and channels, aligning him with brands that I thought were right fits for him. And then, um, yeah, we grew. Uh, my plan was never really to have actually have an agency. I was happy working with Wilf. And um, naturally, I think through the good work and at the time there being a huge gap in the market where no one was really looking at individual talent as, you know, how do we um, specifically market you to specific audiences with or without these major deals? No one was doing it. Um, and then I went to school with Mikel Antonio. I'm really good friends with his agent. Um, we had a conversation, Mikel became my second client and then it was the same process until I just realised that with me as an individual and the success that I'm having with these guys, there's a ceiling. Um, so naturally I just thought I needed to build out an agency that could help me to kind of facilitate all the work that started to come up, come in. And that's how my agency, the mailroom came around. But during that whole process, I developed a relationship with Crystal Palace, Steve Parrish, um, the team around there naturally through Wilf and I was doing a lot of like, you know, they're helping with the kit day shoots and the marketing behind the scenes. And yeah, um, I guess long story short, I just managed to like have a specific mindset of what is missing. I think because I've come from a creative background, I think there is an element that I think sports generally doesn't, one, I don't think it cares about it. Two, I just... I think the landscape has always been what focused on certain 
you know, um, paths. And I just brought a breath of fresh air to the players who I believed weren't really in control of their own narrative. And my whole thing was about rather than allowing the mainstream media to control their narrative, which hasn't benefited them for many years and many occasions, how do we retain that for the clients and allow them to be the best versions of themselves? It's obviously something that resonated um, looking at some of the brand partnerships. I should probably disclose that we have worked together previously. Um, goal uh, with Budweiser created the campaign Side Hustles, which Wilf and yourself, in fact, on screen, not just commercial manager in the background, but on screen, talked about this project, you know, and it was about that authenticity and that genuine interest and outside of football, which I think resonated really well in, in what was a really successful campaign. So I'm interested, Kenny, in this move to Crystal Palace because it sounds like everything was going well at the mailroom. Um, you're, you know, you've got two big clients, you're growing. What was it about the Palace project, which I think was the middle of last year, July 2023, you started? What was it about that project which made you think, I'm going to put the mailroom to one side and I'm going to really focus on this uh, this new project at Palace? Okay, well, actually, Alex, I haven't put the mailroom to one side. So... Again, I built. Okay, a really- I apologize. I apologize. No, no, no problem. No problem. And I, and I think, you know, and the reason why I'm, you know, the mailroom is my baby, and you know, I, I, I look after a number of, you know, high-profile athletes across different sports. You know, Jan Valerie. I look after um, Danielle Carter. I was looking after Leon Bailey. There's a few names within there that you know that that I've had in my hands. Aaron Wambasaka was another client as well that I was working with. And for me, I always say. If it wasn't for the mailroom, I don't get the job at Crystal Palace or with Crystal Palace. And the reason why I say that is, you know, not bad on anyone else. But again, when you can't see an opening or a position, sometimes you need someone that can create it. So at the time when I was trying to work with so many different entities, not just Crystal Palace, I was hearing a lot of no's. And there was only so much that I could take that where it would be why you know, in, instead of asking for help from everyone else to build out my dream, why don't I build it myself? Hence the reason why I created my own agency. So the, the and it will make sense because the, the ethos of what we do at the mailroom is about driving brand value through traditional and non-traditional spaces. So I actually pitched this idea to Steve Parrish probably about seven years ago about there being a room or a space for culture marketing within sports because I don't think it was being navigated um, and i give you an example because I'm I guess I'm, I'm quite close to the ground from a fashion perspective and then working in sports community is everything which we know again which is fashion and sports within itself think about it even in the early days especially now most people's entry into sports nowadays is not through traditional means it's not just by supporting a team or coming down through you know, through your family or your f- social um, groups. So nowadays, your entry into sports or a football team might be because you've seen your favourite footballer speaking on his political views. You might It might be through the clothes he wears and the magazines that he's speaking in. So the, the, the entry into sports actually is diversified and no one was really capitalising on it. So I said to me and Steve Parrish having a conversation, it was a few years ago, and it was around... I, I remember there was like the one of the World Cups and it was like the Nigeria kit and the England kit and the Nigeria kit was selling really well. And me and Steve had a conversation. What I was saying is that really it's more to do with not, the design is one element, but the culture around it. After the whole continent like of like 
just Africa in general were the underdogs. So we supported the team that resonated with the people who was there. All the biggest musicians at the time were Nigerian artists. So that builds into culture why people are supporting something, but they spoke directly to their direct consumers. So when it came to this, I was saying, look, I believe there's going to be a huge merger between fashion because it is heavily community based. And obviously I just, because of timing, nothing really came to fruition. Obviously I carry on doing what I'm doing with the mailroom. I'm having like successes within certain areas. And I remember sitting with the good guys at Crystal Palace from the marketing team. And I fired over Steve uh, an email because there was, there was an article that came out in a magazine called NSS magazine. And it says, do sporting teams need creative directors? And I laughed because I was saying this to them seven years ago. And basically what has happened is in the States, they've got all of these lead fashion designers that have become the big creative directors of all the major sporting teams. So you've got a a designer called um, Ronnie Feig, who is the creative director of um, the New York Knicks. You've got another artist called Daniel Arsham, who is the creative director of the Cleveland Cavaliers, who was actually the first of the creative directors. Then you've got Guillermo of a brand called 424, who is the creative director now of the League Cup for the MLS. And there's a few others. So I sent this and I said, we could have been six years ahead of this, right? <laughs> and lo and behold, we just had a conversation. So I think what it was is having a foresight and understanding trends because I'm not only do I stand behind the scenes, but I'm also a consumer. I believe that I sit in the position of a fan. So being on the ground, I know what what I believe and I believe in my taste levels to say, I understand that these things are merging. You see certain trends, you see certain conversations and lo and behold, it's come to fruition. And after a few conversations, we just said, look, let's, let's just give it a go. Let's give it a try. And, and here we are. <laughs> so I really do commend them for 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 coming back round and, and saying, look, there's obviously something that we're missing here. Talking about the type of fashion that you're going to create with Crystal Palace, it feels to me like it's an increasingly broad output when it comes to football and fashion. You've got the higher end spectrum, you know, Montclair are involved as an Inter Milan sponsor. Um, those items retail for several thousand pounds or euros. And, and then you've got more sort of Ajax and daily paper, which is maybe, you know, there's cultural zeitgeist training wear, third kit collection, some of the stuff that Arsenal and Adidas have done as uh, had a lot of rave reviews and a lot of attention. Where on that spectrum of high-end fashion versus comfortable uh, sort of sportswear, casual wear, do you want to position your work with Palace? Very good question. Because I think this kind of gets left because I think like anything, when brands start to jump into um, new spaces, what happens is there's a ho- hyper-focus on trying to create luxury. And then what happens is you miss out all the other tiers. And what you do is you gradually start to push out the purists or the casual fans, right? And it just becomes about the glitz and glamour. So um, for me, yes, it is a very broad spectrum. But for me, where I believe clubs should be focusing um, is across the board. You know, it's it's all great doing these high-end collaborations. But as I said, the price points probably, you know, like are not favourable for the average, you know, Londoner in general. Do you know what I mean? Let alone the average sporting fan. I believe that the day and age of clubs trying to sell their branded sports wear and training gear to average fans, expecting them to wear them on a Saturday is obsolete. It's not comfortable. It doesn't speak of personal identity. It is something to sell numbers. 
most of the people that are buying from the club stores are not like it's not design focused and in today's market where even your average high street store is selling premium goods for affordable um, prices there is a gap that's being left out in just favorable fashion wear so when i say that it's like how do we redesign you know the the uniform for the average fan across many different spectrums because like we say now the, the the spectrum of who comes to these games and what they wear is diversified. You've got younger audience, level, let's just say the Gen Zs, who might be more into streetwear. Then you might have someone else who is a luxury wearer. But we want more shapes and silhouettes. It isn't always just about the collaborations. It's saying about how do we speak to these um, communities that have been left out, but we can still communicate to them through design value, through comfortability, and brand identity. So for me, it's, it's, it has to be starting with affordability. Sometimes it might just be about not bringing in these big brands. How do we change the shapes and silhouettes of stuff that is brought up to date with what is being sold in the club store? Then it is design value. How do we allow people to feel comfortable, but also expressive in what they wear at these club stores? And then we can do some special projects that kind of like have a wink to the fashion industry and allow people to, you know, or allow the clubs to express themselves in more creative ways through some of these more strategic partnerships. I think there's so many different layers to it, but it's going to be a process, but we want to be able to kind of knock them out bit by bit. I want to talk about the idiosyncrasies of Palace, obviously uh, a London team, uh, an established mid-table Premier League team. I think there's nothing controversial in saying that, but not one of the sort of, you know, the behemoths, the big six or whatever you want to call them. How does the size of the club impact on your work? I don't think it has an, a, 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 an impact, in definitely not in a negative way. I actually think it's a great thing. I think for the size where Crystal Palace is, they're heavily community-based, which I absolutely love. I believe statistically Crystal Palace is the most multicultural club, actually, from a player perspective within the Premier League also. So therefore, we have diversity within there um, where we're able to speak to different communities and, um, again, allows us to express ourselves in so many different ways. I think the size of the club is beautiful. I think you look at the surrounding area, also South London. I think there's an energy that comes um, with coming from South London that 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 needs to be tapped into. There's um, there's um, how can I say it? There's a bravado. There's a proudness about being at it. Like the tagline of Crystal Palace is South London and proud. That means something. So there's all of these kind of entities that we can tap into. I think it's a beautiful story, even if you look at the kind of players that they have. You know, the academy system, everything speaks to the underdog story that are gunning for the top. And I think that is a beautiful element to it. I don't think there's no downside to it. I think, you know, if and and as they're progressing, you know, they've you know, they've, they've announced like the new building of the, the academy and the stadium. We want to be able to bring everything forth with it. So I think it's going to be a beautiful journey. Steve's doing an amazing job there. Everyone, you know, within the palace infrastructure is doing great. And I think that they have something beautiful on their hands. And I think the building blocks over the next couple of months to years of how they continue to add to that is where the real value is. So no, extremely proud to be part of um, the, 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 the new story of Crystal Palace. You're right. The Palace is a club famous for bringing through young local players, especially from the area, from, from South London. That feels relevant to how you're approaching your work. And you're also a South Londoner yourself, which must be helpful. Oh, listen, beautiful. It's like, Honestly, probably like a dream come true. I think, you know, you look across the board and th there's so many beautiful teams there. And I'm not just saying this because I tell people probably 
would have been my first pick if you're talking about something that speaks directly to me. Because like I said, I believe I am the consumer of what Crystal Palace represents. Do you know what I mean? So it's, it's me designing for myself, basically, and creating stuff for myself. And that is the beautiful part for me. Thinking about the importance of location, when I think about clubs that have combined fashion and football well, they tend to be clubs in cities that are in their own right already heavily associated with fashion. So I've already talked about Inter Milan. I mentioned Venezia and Paris in the intro. How much of an advantage do you think it is for you to be located in another fashion hotspot, i.e. London? Again, I think it's beautiful because if we do want to start tapping into some of those strategic partnerships with with designers, we have some of the best designers in in you know in the world that come from London. We host our own London Fashion Week. There is not a lot of them that go on in any other major cities within the world. We host that, and it is you know a boiling pot of culture, um, diversity, opinions. And I think that makes for great conversation. So we have so many different creative minds that we can tap. And remember, we're, we say in South London, but like we're saying, it's, it's the whole of London, really, because that's what we still represent. We have the capabilities to tap into whatever we need to if it speaks to the audience that we are trying to speak to. And I think that's a huge advantage. I'm interested because we're talking about South London, we're talking about London, but you've also kind of talked about how fashion can cross club and national loyalties thinking about that 2018 nigeria shirt which just exploded the internet i think all over the world and sold out in minutes it's funny isn't it that no london club has the name of the capital in their name you know it's you know you arsenal chelsea and Fulham and Crystal Palace. there's no west ham there's no mention of london in any of them do you think it'd be easier for you and i'm thinking about the kind of you know reaching global fans if crystal palace had the name london if it was crystal palace london or palace london and I realise Crystal Palace fans will hate this suggestion and I'm not actually proposing that the club change their name. But uh, do you think it would be easier for you thinking about that kind of appeal to global audiences? Um, no, I don't think that has an effect in any way, shape or form. I think storytelling is the biggest you know, way to um, reach new audiences. I think if any entity tells a story well, people naturally gravitate and connect with it. So by putting the la- name London in it, I, I understand and again, funny enough, actually, a lot of brands like fashion brands will have the name London in it. It might be so and so, so London because they're trying to represent where they're from. I don't think it makes a huge impact. I think it's, it's good to represent. But I think, for, again, for Crystal Palace, who is who has who is rich in history, the due diligence of, of who they are and what they've achieved, they actually ooze the essence of London for me. Like I think you look at Crystal Palace and you think of London. So I don't think you have to you really have to kind of um, drive the narrative through um, a name change, no? Yeah, I guess I'm maybe thinking about things like Paris Saint-Germain as a football club uh, with the fashion wear and also just a lot of their marketing material and within the stadium and the fans sing this song, Ici C'est Paris. You know, they're very kind of focused on that. So I suppose that's probably where my question was coming from. Um, But I am interested, Kenny, in this globalization. Um, You talked about the changing nature of the modern football fan, and and we see a lot of that in the work that we do. And and you're right, the entry points might be different. It might be fashion, might be gaming, might be politics or whatever else it might be. With your objectives with Steve Parrish and with the club here, is it about trying to bring in new fans to the club who maybe don't have a football club allegiance right now or support a club from outside the UK? Or is this primarily about selling clothing to existing Palace fans? 
I, I think it's probably about all the above, you know. I think, like I said to you at the, at the start of, you know, when we started speaking and I was, most people's entry point into sports doesn't actually start with sports nowadays. It's again, it's how do we engage community? How do we allow people to find new ways to connect and engage? And one of the best things that I believe um, that builds community is fashion. It's about identity. So naturally, you can connect with people. I don't know, like, have you ever been somewhere? um, I know I definitely have, and I've got something and I'm feeling really proud, thinking I'm the only one that's got it. And I see someone else with it and I'm like, okay. Like you can kind of tell a lot about someone based on the way they dress and the brands that they wear. You know, it's not from a judgment perspective, but it's understanding maybe a demographic and understanding of like a lifestyle or the community or what you're into. And I think that's what it's about. We want to be able to represent who we are and where we're from by what we wear. You know, there's the the saying, um, dress good, feel good. You know, there's so much to it. And, you know, you can never um, skip over the fact that it also is a huge revenue driver. You know, we want to find new ways to develop different entities. I guess you have to find new ways to strategically and creatively bring in new revenue to the club. But there's an offering here which that serves a purpose for the people because we want to create um, product that lives and exists outside of the club. Do you know what I mean? Like, like I give you an example. I'm wearing a New York hat. I'm not. I've been to New York once, and that was the end of last year. But there's a there's a design value that I appreciate and the culture that New York has built that when I wear it, I automatically am brought into something. And I think that's what we're trying to create here. It's more about the community. For me, it's more about building the community aspect and then seeing where we can kind, kind of diversify from there. Also telling stories of other communities too. That's a great thing that fashion does. So we can look at special collaborations and tell the story of, how this designer has connected with the club based on like and histories. Maybe again, the stories of the underdogs from a design perspective and how they kind of their stories join in with Crystal Palace and their trajectory into the Premier into the Premier League from the championship. We want to be able to tell all of these stories. So there's so much built in um, within that. Yeah. You're right. I mean, the Yankees hat is an amazing phenomenon. I suspect outside of New York, the majority of people who walk around with that famous Yankees hat, famous Yankees logo, maybe don't even know that it is the New York Yankees and quite possibly have never seen a Yankees match or even a baseball match in their life. And yet it is a sort of, it's an icon uh, of the city and it's uh, something that people wear with pride. Do you think about that? I mean, is that like a something you dream about at night, Kenny, that you'll be walking down the streets of Dallas or Johannesburg or Miami or Milan or wherever and you'll see people wearing your palace collection wear? Most definitely. It's like I think they're proud moments that allow you to know that, you know, at checkpoints to say, wow, we're doing something here and we're speaking to people. I think that's, you know, it's just, it's proud. Do you know what I mean? Like you, you, you can walk and say, look, we're building something here where people are buying into and, you know, sometimes ultimately changing lives. So, most definitely. I'd, I, I've definitely envisioned that and I believe it will come true. Um, as I said, you know, it's not my first rodeo. So when it comes to design, I have an extensive, you know, backlog and history of consulting and designing myself. So, you know, I know what that feeling is like. So it's about saying, how do we just do it in a new space? I'm extremely excited to, to, to figure that out because football, we know football audiences are very different. 
Kenny, you'd mentioned commercial revenues earlier. That's interesting. How much are you on the hook personally to drive new commercial revenues via the uh, the items that you create? Well, they have a commercial team um, primarily for that. So I leave the numbers to them. My job is to um, build and create. That's that's my main focus. Um, obviously, we'll, we'll discuss certain things, but that's you know that's that's not my um, my space. I leave that to the to the guys that are, are focused on that. Do you know how much they talk about it? And I guess I'm talking about Palace, but also maybe more broadly within football. You think about the three probably largest revenue streams for most clubs right now would be matchday revenue, sponsorship, and broadcast. Do you think there's a world in which um, non-matchday clothing, i.e. not the kit, becomes a really significant revenue driver for clubs? I personally think that non-matchday apparel done in the right way out trumps kits. For sure, because there's no limitations. I guess there's also price points that you can, um, depending on the offerings of what you're delivering to the consumer, you're able to play around with, um, speaking to different um, demographics. Um, so again, we, we've spoken about luxury, we've spoken about like mid-tier, we've spoken about streetwear, um, and they all have their own price points based on design value. So I personally believe that this is probably one of the biggest financial generators for most clubs. Um, it's just that I don't think we've seen anything that has been done in that way. And again, this is why I believe that this gap should be filled and I'm just happy to be able to explore it. Kenny, I want to talk about players, um, footballers, because the, the use of footballers obviously is something that is on the table for you and, and, and I'm sure will be a large part of what you do. There are plenty of non-football endemic fashion houses who do take advantage of the popularity of footballers. Uh, we can think about Louis Vuitton's campaign in the 2022 World Cup with Messi and Ronaldo. We can talk about Camavinga walking the catwalk for Balenciaga. I saw Ronaldinho. I mean, there's an iconic player if ever there was one, um, although perhaps uh, you know not a, a natural model, um, but he was on the Paris uh, catwalk with Kid Super a couple of weeks ago. Um, and I guess where I'm trying to go with this is Palace's squad might not be quite as famous as some of those players I've just mentioned, but it must be great for you to be able to count on these recognized athletes in great physical physical shape to model your clothing. I suppose on, on top of that, they are obviously footballers rather than professional models. That's what they get paid to kick a football around, not to wear clothing. Does that represent a challenge versus working with professional models who pose for photos day in, day out? Yeah, most definitely, um, for sure, because um, paid models get paid to do what they do because um, they understand what it, it's like to, or what they need to do to sell a product. And that's the difference. Some people it comes to naturally, you know what I mean? And then others, maybe not so not so much. Fashion and football has become um, synonymous when it comes to having conversations, when the intersection of sports. If you ask me, actually, I'm probably not super pro athlete-led um, product. I, I believe that if something is strong enough and you can tell the story behind it, you don't necessarily need the players in the kit. But also, I do believe there's a responsibility probably on myself. And this is because I work with so many um, athletes and, and, and um, footballers that I want to also design stuff that they can feel comfortable in and feel like they look good in when they are moving around. I think that is also a big thing for me. So... I guess, you know, we have like great people that I think the first names that will come to mind, especially with Crystal Palace is like Annalise and um, and uh, Abere Eze. Do you know what I mean? They 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 like ooze youth culture, they're flair players, 
And, you know, they look good in clothes too. And there's many more players, but I, I guess naturally they're the two names that come up. But necessarily, sometimes they might not be right for a shoot. They will, they will sell product to a certain audience. But again, fashion is bigger than just the entity wearing it. I understand there's influence, but design value and telling the story of why this product was made or the story behind it is what drives visibility and conversation, not just, and I say just specifically, the players that are in them. It helps and adds value, but I believe we could have a shoot with all non-sporting individuals and sell a product. It doesn't have to be led by the athletes themselves, no. That's a terrific point and, and maybe does uh, lend itself to thinking about over-reliance on talent, um, which perhaps some people fall into the trap of. But when you are on a shoot with these players, how do you get the best out of them? Are there any tricks of the trade uh, to make them feel more comfortable, to make them ultimately um, be able to you know, produce what you want them to produce? Yeah, I guess so. Um, this one, I guess this is where I put my mailroom hat on. Um, naturally, because I'm the one usually booking shoots for talent that I work with. I know what the conversations that we have, people that are keeping them on the shoots for too long, They've had long, strenuous days in training, but they haven't eaten and now they've got to do another two-hour shoot. The clothes are not fitting that well or the clothes don't really look that good. Sometimes the people who are representing them or the photographer are not communicating with these guys. You need people that are very personal, that understand there's so much different things that create an atmosphere for someone to feel comfortable. And when it comes to working with these players, and that's my, again, this is my whole identity of the mailroom, why I always say it goes hand in hand is understanding what an individual needs to feel comfortable in this space. Sometimes they've just had a bad day and they might not want to be on a shoot. And then people on the shoot will be looking at them like, well, this is an obligation for the club. And you were like, well, just like everyone, we all have bad days within our work. So maybe they just don't want to be here. And you have to be understanding of that because they're humans. So um, yeah, I think there's, there's so much that needs to be done in creating an atmosphere for everyone in different industries, but specifically talking about players, for them to feel comfortable. Most of the time, you can imagine, especially if you're a star player at the club, how much times you're being pulled out for commercial um, obligations, kit shoots, sign-ins, this, that, so-and-so. And there's always the conversation, but that's what they get paid to do. But it doesn't necessarily mean that it's enjoyable 24-7. So we have to be mindful. And I'm very, very conscious of that. Kenny, it's an impassioned... Um, speech you've given there and I feel like it, it reminds me of a post I saw that you wrote on LinkedIn recently um, and, and maybe this is the last question I, I want to ask you about because it is a really emotive subject that post was related to a conversation in which somebody had criticised Aaron Wambisaka, as you said a, a guy you've worked with previously for uh, being hard to work with or um, difficult doing his media duties or something along those lines. And you responded with this really sort of passionate defense of the player. You were talking about um, how you'd worked with him uh, and how we needed to sort of reframe our expectations of um, these young players. Can you elaborate a bit on what you said in that post and, and how you think media needs to work better with young footballers? Yes, for sure. Again, it was personal to me, again, because... This is why I started the mailroom. I saw what they was doing to Wilfred Zaha. And it honestly, I just think it's terrible when you're not able to control your narrative and the mainstream media can depict, a, uh, you know, or can create an image of you um, without you know, any fact checked. Or it could be a personal vendetta or a personal issue 
that is then displayed is very damaging. And this is why I say allowing athletes to create their, um, be in control of their own narratives is extremely important. So for instance, I've worked with Aaron Wambisaka and he's, 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 um, his agency, amazing guys there, uh, um, unique. Um, his agent is a good friend of mine. And Aaron is an amazing, amazing young, talented footballer. And what happens is I believe that because we see them in, well, I say we as a community, we see them as numbers. We see them as figures. Um, we're like, well, they don't have a care in the world because they've got X amount of you know money and they're making this, so they should be doing this. And it's like an obligation. Well, you don't understand where some of these guys' journeys have come from. Some of these guys are even just like the struggles even to get into the country alone, then to change their lives and then their families' lives and feeding back whole towns and cities back home. Some of us will never experience, know what that's like. And then not only that, you're asking for someone who's dedicated their life from a very young age. So sometimes also there's, there's the social side that people don't think about where they've been working away and sheltered and they, they said so they've only communicated with certain like demographics of people and from different walks of life. Sometimes they become very withdrawn because again, the media has sometimes haven't favored them. So they're very cautious of what they say and how they work on things because they don't want to come across, um, especially like the, the sporting world can be very unforgiving, especially in football. So what they do is they, to protect their themselves, they just go into their shell. But when you get to know these people, some of the best people, Aaron is like one of the funniest guys I know when you get to know him. He loves banter, loves table tennis, like loves it. Like very, like he's, like his friend unit is extremely solid. So when I heard that, I've worked on Aaron with shoots. I've worked on, with Aaron on, on, on commercial stuff with Adidas and we've done so many different things. But the problem is, and I think everyone has a duty in this, whether it's from the kit man to the people at the club, is that, don't blank market everyone. You've got to understand as individuals who they are and what makes them tick. Sometimes you could be having the wrong conversation with the wrong person and understand they're not engaging because really and truly this conversation doesn't take to them. It just could be simple as that. But for you, you take it as, oh, he's hard to work with. No. Or maybe you don't know what's going on at home. Their playing career is not, not going, that, going that great. And then you, you fire all these questions on them that is tr uh, like triggering or you know, a trauma response is for them to not say anything. I think there has to be a level of care, understanding that every, most average 18 to mid 20 year olds probably are still trying to figure out life. And these guys that we're labeling with all of these, you know, they're hard to work with and is they're this and that are people that have financial burdens on them to, they are the breadwinners of like everyone around them. At the, from the age probably of like 17 and they have to do that you haven't been coached into that it just becomes a thing that happens because you earn the most so you have to be cautious of how you are speaking to and with these players and I think we just need more people in positions that understand how to translate and communicate with these guys it's, it's, it's a whole bit you can tell I'm passionate about this but it's that's where I stand I think it's, it's hard because we come from underrepresented communities and they're flung into the fire sometimes and people are not understanding of that. But this is why I believe in creating new spaces in media that allow athletes to be their truest form 
where you can speak to them. And that's why I spoke about the interview that we've done with Players Tribune, which is probably his only long form um, piece that he's ever done. But see, look at that, inter- um, that interview and you can see who Aaron Wambasaka is. Like that is a beautiful depiction of who he is. And once you look at that, it will make more sense as to who he is and why he does what he does. He's a young guy that wants to play football at the highest level and provide for his family. That's it. Kenny, thank you for speaking passionately. Thank you for speaking from the heart. It's evidently something that really matters to you. It feels like an important message. And so thank you for taking the time to to tell us that message. And thank you for taking the time to do this interview uh, as a whole. It's been really insightful, really enlightening. And I think it's um it's an important voice uh, and an important message that you're that you're trying to get out there. If people listening to this want to hear more from you, they want to see more from you, where can they do so? Wow. Um, I guess my LinkedIn has become one of my uh, most prominent hubs. So Kenny and then Jonathan on my LinkedIn, absolutely love it. There's a few um, podcasts and conversations that I've had online on YouTube. I'm sure if you just um, type in my name, a lot will come up there. Um, Instagram, um, I've stayed off it for so long. I actually just made an Instagram account probably a few weeks ago. Um, and I'm there under free agent as in F-R-E-E agent and under my name. And yeah, I think the, these are just different platforms that allow me to express and communicate what I'm passionate about and what I do. Um, and also there's a, a, a Telegram group that I've started called, um, again, called free agent and everything that I speak about from design formats in, you know, with, with fashion and community building and special projects everything is in there. So we post regularly daily about conversations that are not being had that we want to hear from behind the scenes of football and in front of, you know, the camera. So yeah, that's, that's, that's where you can find me. Terrific. Kenny, thank you very much for your time. No, Alice, thank you for having me, man. It's been um, definitely a a great um, expressive conversation. So I appreciate it. And thanks to our listeners for tuning in until next time. All the best. Business Podcast. The most creative minds and innovative thinkers in football.